Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hey, Treatment Roomies, Tess here. Welcome back to the show. So question for you, as an esthetician, how many times have you had a friend or a client come up to you with a product and ask if it's any good for their skin? Today, we wanna help you answer that question. We're taking a deep dive into understanding skincare ingredients beyond just what you would see on a product label. Lauren and I feel it can be a really complex question to answer, There are so many elements that go into a product, the manufacturing, the sourcing, the delivery systems, the formula, the percentage of active ingredients, so much more than most people, even estheticians, can understand sometimes. So today we're bringing in Michelle Fallon, esthetician and founder of Concepts Institute, to shed some light on the topic. You guys, I would not be the same esthetician I am today if it weren't for Michelle. I've sat through a handful of her classes in working toward a clinical esthetician certificate. And aside from just being an incredible person, she has a very special way of explaining things that makes it just really fun to grasp and interesting to understand. She gets really sciencey with it without being boring. If you guys haven't listened to her other episode on lymphatic drainage yet, it is such a gem. It's one of our favorites. We really recommend going back to it. It's a topic that has so much more to it than even we understood before talking to her. We hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and happy. We so appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the treatment room. So we are here with Michelle. We are super excited to have her back. Our last episode that we did with her was amazing. So we're super excited to chat with her today. We are going to dive into ingredients and kind of everything that you want to know, everything that you don't know yet. So Michelle, thanks so much for coming back. Yes, thanks. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here with all of you. We're so excited. Michelle is a a jack of all trades, but I feel like her her way of explaining ingredients makes it a lot easier to understand. So we're so thankful to have you. Our first question is, Michelle, do you have any tips for somebody who's picking up a, a product and trying to decipher what's, you know, what goes into the product, the ingredients on the label? 
Yeah, so it, it I do. It really depends on what product you're picking up and what type of skin you have and what the condition of your skin is. So let's say, for example, you are someone who has um, you know, normal skin, but maybe mature uh, skin is a condition and want to, your goal is to say soften up lines or hydrate or rejuvenate. What you would then want to do is look for those ingredients on the, uh, you know, on the label of the moisturizer or the serum. So great ingredients for anti-aging would be things like retinols, which help to rejuvenate the skin, you know, stimulate the fibroblasts in the skin to produce more collagen elastin. Ingredients like hyaluronic acid for topical hydration. Um, ingredients like DNA repair enzymes to help in the repair of the skin and the rejuvenation of the skin. So a lot of it depends upon what your goal is for for your skin. Okay. And how about the order of ingredients? Can you explain how important that is? Yeah. So generally, the when you're looking at an ingredient label, the ingredients on top, the very first few ingredients are generally what you have most of in that product. And then, of course, as you go down towards the bottom, it becomes less and less. And then anything under 1% can be listed in any, any way at all. So if there are 10 ingredients under 1%, you really wouldn't know, you know, if you have more of one than the other. Uh, but just generally speaking, the ingredients at the top is what, you know, you've got most of in that product. And it depends, you know, active ingredients, there's so many different things that go into a product, it, it, product in general. You've got active ingredients, which are the performance ingredients, which actually do something for the skin. You know, you have humectants that help to hold moisture in the product itself to preserve the product itself. You have um, emulsifiers that help to, to bond water and oil ingredients together. So if you've got a lot of both water-loving ingredients and oil-loving ingredients in the same product, you would have emulsifiers to hold them together so there's not separation. You know, there are preservatives in there. Sometimes there are colors in there. So the active ingredients is really what most people want to know about. You know, what is this product going to do for my skin? Not what is it going to do as far as holding this product together so much, but what is it going to do for my skin? So, mm. Michelle, I feel like a lot of estheticians, we understand, and a lot of consumers now, consumers are getting super savvy, but we understand ingredients are listed from highest concentration to lowest. How about if you are comparing active ingredients, say you see salicylic on a drugstore label in the, as the, let's say the fifth ingredient, and you see it as the fifth ingredient of a professional product, are those concentrations created equal? Not necessarily. A lot of it depends upon percentage. So it may be the fifth ingredient on both products. But on the professional product or in the professional product, rather, you may have a higher percentage of that ingredient. So a lot of it depends upon percentage. A percentage equals the potency in most cases. 
and they don't always tell you what the percentage is. I know they do in cases with uh, alpha hydroxy acids or maybe retinols, but there are a lot of ingredients on products that they don't give you the percentage. So a lot of it depends upon percentage. And you really wouldn't know that unless you, you know, you talk to the manufacturer, you talk to the chemist, or you've created the product yourself, basically. Right. I think, yeah, that's where it, where it gets a little dicey when clients, you know, bring in products and they, they ask you to look at the back and say, is this one that I have, you know, better than the one you have here? What's, what's the difference? And as much as we can kind of decipher ingredients and look together, I think that's when it can get a little hard to explain. Yeah. And, you know, when you're looking at a product line or you're looking at a, a just a product in general, say a moisturizer, and there's so many ingredients there. And some of the things that we look at, some of those ingredients at the back of the label are not even for for your skin or a performance ingredient. You might have um, some buffers in there, a lot of humectants, um, which, of course, holds moisture in the product or emulsifiers. So it's it's hard to know unless you really have an understanding of that particular product or the chemistry of that individual product. Generally speaking, most professional lines do have a higher potency of active ingredients. And um, generally speaking, store-bought lines are less potent. And a lot of that has to do with the safety for the client. You know, if you're a professional, you're selling your client a professional product, you're there to monitor their skin, educate them, make sure they're on the right track. You know, if they're overusing something, you can talk to them about it and, and you know, let them know what's going on. Where a, a store-bought product, if it's too strong, you know, it can end up hurting the client or injuring the client and the client doesn't have any sort of, um, you know, any resources to go. They wouldn't be able to, you know, talk to their esthetician so much about it if their esthetician did not sell them the product and um, ha has educated them about that product. Michelle, it sounds like you're saying a really good point, which is that perhaps maybe a sensitive skin type is is looking at, you know, a store-bought salicylic versus a professional one and thinking, oh, maybe I, I don't want something professional grade because it's too strong for me. But you're, you're also saying the buffers are equally as important as the actives here. It, exactly. And also the quality of the ingredients and the purity of the ingredients. You know, you want to make sure that you're using ingredients that are very pure and very clean that, um, you know, that it's, it, and also having your esthetician there for you, if something does go wrong with the product, you know, it ends up being too mm -hmm. strong or causing dryness or causing sensitivity, you can go back to your esthetician and they can adjust it for you or maybe mm -hmm. add something to it or maybe have you, you know, use it a little less often. Okay. Tweak so it a how, little bit. Yeah. So how would you evaluate the efficacy or the purity of ingredients? Is that by doing research into the brand or is there another way? Like how would you evaluate, you know, whether or not you think that a product has quality ingredients? Yes. And that is the, the big question. A lot of it has to do with the manufacturing. 
you know, a lot of it has to do with what originally goes into the product, where, um, you know, the manufacturers purchase their ingredients from, how pure an ingredient is. And that's something that we really wouldn't know unless you do have that relationship with the manufacturer or the relationship with the chemist. That gets a little bit tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's kind of always the thing when somebody asks, you know, oh, I'm using this. Is this okay? I mean, Tess and I, and I'm sure you get this too, Michelle, but there's always the question of what do you think about this brand or what do you think about this product? And I mean, it feels like it's never ending. And unfortunately, yeah, I feel like I don't always have the answer because I'm like, I, you know, unless I, you know, call the company and do a real deep dive into their philosophy and and practices. And, and unless you're producing the product yourself, I do a lot of aromatherapy blending. So I'm a registered aromatherapist and I blend a lot of essential oils for my own clients, for, for the doctor's patients, for, for other businesses as well. And so I know what goes into the blend. You know, I know there are five drops of lavender. I know where the lavenders come from. I know where the lavender was, how it was distilled. You know, I know the mm-hmm. farm that it was, that it originated in. I know it's organic, but having all of those details is not something that just the, you know, the average person would, well, first of all, would want to know. And even with estheticians, when you're purchasing from a product line, you probably don't have that much detail of the product that you're using. If you do, that's great. (laughs) That's wonderful. But you can always go back as an esthetician, go back to the product line, the company that you're using, and try to gain that information from them. You know, how was this essential oil uh, distilled? Or, you know, how much is actually in here? What percentage? And that's something that uh, estheticians can, uh, or the relationship, I should say, that they should have with their uh, companies that they purchase from. That reminds me of, of uh, one of the reasons I, I tend to say, you know, I only recommend professional lines is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but professional lines are typically made in, in smaller batches and there's more quality control. Would you agree? I would say in general, yes. I know there are a lot of uh, manufacturers that make store-bought lines, too, that uh, do a really good job with that, with quality control. I think a lot of the professional lines, though, is what when I look at it and when I talk to some of the companies, that the, the potency of certain ingredients is higher. You know, the active ingredients is generally a little bit, um, well, stronger. And uh, that uh, seems to be sort of the main focus. But yes, quality control is always very important. And, you know, really anyone can create a product and then sell a product if it's a cosmetic product, that is not so much talking about a a medical grade product, but a cosmetic product. Really, anyone can create a product and label a product and, you know, go through um, all of the necessary chains, what they have to do to to be able to sell it. Um, So it can be really tricky. And that's where when when I purchase uh, products for my clients to use specifically, I really want to have a great relationship with the company. Um, I want to be able, you know, not just to talk to the sales rep. And in certain cases, I do like to talk to the chemist and and pick their brain and ask them questions. So really serious about about ingredients and skincare, that's probably, you know, what you want to do is do some research, do deeper research 
on the ingredients that you're using. I love that you you brought that point up and it's, yeah, it's a little scary to think that anyone can really create a product. I used to work in a, in a skincare store and we would have people come in all the time trying to p- pitch their product they, that they were, you know, making at home, which is just, you know, something to keep in the back of your mind. And something else I learned in school was that, you know, a product can market any ingredient on the front of their label without actually even having that ingredient in the product, which is also scary to think about. Right. You can call it a chamomile cleansing cream or a retinol cleanser, and it doesn't really have to contain that ingredient in, in it. But then when you flip it over and you look at the back and you look at the ingredient label, it has to, you know, if it says it's got you know, retinol or lavender, whatever it may have, um, legally, it's supposed to contain those ingredients. Um, I Here's an an interesting kind of story. I had one of my clients years ago, and maybe I told you the story again, so forgive me if you have to hear it a second (laughs) time. But I had a client come into me, and she had so much congestion and, 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 and acne and inflammation. And she said, well, I'm using this new foundation. And the foundation, did I tell you the story, ladies? Before? No. Okay. No. <laughs> she, said, she said, well, I'm using this new foundation and it's made for acne. Take a look at it. And I thought, wow, her skin looks worse than it did a couple of months back. And I looked at the ingredients and, you know, the first ingredient was oil. The second ingredient was color. The third ingredient was, I think there was some clay. I mean, the, the, you know, the fourth ingredient was vitamin E. Now, vitamin E topically is fine for skin that is more dry or in most skin types. And taking vitamin E is a different story, but you really don't want vitamin E tocopherol in a product that is made for skin that's acneic because it can be congestive. So here are like five or six ingredients that were very clogging in this product. And she said, well, it says it has tea tree and tea tree is supposed to be for acne. Well, tea tree is very germicidal. Tea tree is very antimicrobial and it can control oil. But what about the other five clogging ingredients? So like if you can't just take one, you know, you can't take one ingredient out of context. And so she handed it over to me and she said, you know what, let's just throw it away. And I cannot remember the manufacturer's name. I really can't. But I remember there were many ingredients in there that we know are um, considered congestive. And she was congested. And here it's saying this foundation is made for someone that has congestion, that has acne. So it really does depend a lot on on the type of skin your client has, the condition that they have, and really what you're trying to do. What is the goal? What is it that you want to do? And of course, keeping in mind, you know, the epidermis is mostly oil loving um, in terms of, you know, what it will absorb. And the dermis is mostly water loving. So ingredients on the skin as far as moisturizers, you know, used for the skin, the serums used for the skin, if you want those ingredients to be able to penetrate a little bit more deeply, you want to look for ingredients that are oil loving, like liposomes or, you know, essential oils, unsaturated fatty oils, or, or are in a carrier that is oil loving versus a water loving ingredient, because a water loving, loving ingredient will sit on the surface of the skin and not be able to get past that oil-loving barrier 
Unless, of course, the water-loving ingredient is placed in a microsphere or a liposome, right? So then you've got this water-loving ingredient that's placed in a little teeny tiny fatty soam. So it has a better chance of kind of sneaking its way into the epidermis. Interesting. So, so when you're evaluating a product and, you know, you're looking at the ingredients and everything, how would you say the potency compares to like the delivery system? Would you say those are equally important or is one more important than the other as far as like potency of ingredients versus um, the formulation and the delivery system? Yeah, that's a really good question. So if you want an ingredient really deep into the skin, let's say like a moisturizer or serum, then delivery system is super important because you need an ingredient that's able to kind of dive down into the skin. But let's say you have somebody that has oily acne and they don't need something that's very, very deep, but they need something that will clean, you know, something that's germicidal that will control oil then you don't need an ingredient that has a, a delivery system for that specific purpose. You might be able to use, in, in that case, a salicylic acid in a cleanser, or maybe a tea tree essential oil in a cleanser, or even a very light benzoyl peroxide in a cleanser. So you wouldn't need a delivery system for that. So it really depends on what the goal is for the, you know, for the, the skin condition that you have, have at hand. <laughs> okay. Michelle, talking about actives reminded me of, of a, another question I feel like we're faced with a lot, and that is, say, benzoyl peroxide in a leave-on serum versus something like a wash. How? What's the best way to go about understanding the best use case or the formula for a certain ingredient? Right. So if you have an ingredient, let's say um, benzoyl peroxide, which is a great one, um, BPO, sometimes they, they call it BPO. Um, BPO is great for sort of drying out and oxygenating. So if you've got someone with acne and you know you want to help kill the bacteria, you would want to use benzoyl peroxide because that increases oxygen to the skin, which would help to, of course, kill propiony and, and staph bacteria to some degree. If you have benzoyl peroxide, um, and I think this is what you're asking me, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have benzoyl peroxide in a delivery system, that would penetrate that ingredient pretty deeply. That would be not a bad thing if someone had acne and you wanted to get it deep into the skin. Um, you wouldn't want to overuse it because it can cause the skin to become sensitive and dry and flaky. But if you have the benzoyl peroxide in a cleanser, you know, they could use that every day. Probably wouldn't be too strong, but it would definitely act in conjunction with other ingredients. Like for acne, maybe a combination a cleanser that has some benzoyl peroxide. Maybe a little bit of tea tree as an antimicrobial. Maybe it would also contain a little bit of salicylic acid to help exfoliate control oil and things like that. So I hope I answered your question. If not. <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
it's just something that comes up. For example, for somebody with acne, they're wondering, huh, am I better off purchasing this VPO wash versus this VPO serum? And you're saying a wash would probably just be a little bit of a more mild dose you could use more frequently, whereas a leave-on product is going to be closer to the skin for a longer period of time. So possibly exactly. a little bit more effective, but but stronger or... Exactly. It could be. A lot of it depends upon the percentage too. If you have a BPO in a delivery system, so you're going to assume that that delivery delivery system is going to take the ingredient deeply into the skin, deeply into the follicle, and then create oxygen deeper in the follicle, which would help to dry out maybe some of the deeper pustules or even maybe some of the superficial cysts, where if you have a BPO just in a cleanser, you know, it's on a couple of seconds, you take it off, you'll get some action still, you'll get some drying still, but the the serum will most probably be a little bit more effective. However, it can also be a little bit more drying. So you've got to be careful with anything that's left on the skin for a long period of time, like a serum. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. in a serum, the percentage of BPO would will be maybe less than, than in a cleanser mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah, so that so it's 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 a tricky, um, especially when you first start to learn about skincare. You know, when you first come out of esthetician school, we all know about cleansers and toners and moisturizers and things like that, and often you know, we'll look at, well, this is, this is said to be for oily skin, or this is supposed to be for dry skin. So we'll go ahead and use this. Um, But you always have to remember, you've got to take it a step further, you have to have an understanding of what these ingredients do for the skin, and how they work together in conjunction as a team in a skincare product, you know, and what the goal for the skin type or the skin condition is. Right. So that brings me to another question, Michelle. Um, As far as combining products and combining ingredients, are um, are there certain ingredients, and whether it be like in the same product or in two separate products, but the same routine, are there certain combinations, like say ones that you see a lot, because I'm sure there's a lot, but um, if are there a certain few that stand out to you as being like absolutely avoid type combinations? Um, and when you say that, uh, Lauren, do you mean ingredients themselves that are just like, no, never use? Or do you mean just combinations of like a handful of different active ingredients, maybe together in one product? Right, like a combination of active ingredients, and whether it be in a single product, or in a routine. So say, you know, a serum, and then someone uses a certain type of moisturizer on top of it. Like, is there a um, a bad combination that you see a lot? I see people a lot, especially prior to them coming into the clinic and really getting a great education from us. I see people tend to overuse active ingredients. They think, well, if a little is good, a lot is really good. <laughs> and that's definitely not the case. And I see that with alpha hydroxies a lot. Like they'll have a product line that's got an alpha hydroxy acid in the cleanser, in the toner, in the moisturizer, in the serum, and then have this really dry, flaky, irritated skin. Or the same with retinols, overusing retinols. All of these ingredients can be 
beautiful used in um, you know, in the correct way and not overusing it. For instance, like when you think about acne and you think about congestion, you want to do a couple of things. One thing you want to do is use an ingredient that will exfoliate, you right, to keep the mouth of the follicle open so that oxygen can go in and kill bacteria and sweat and oil can come out. Another thing you want to think about when you think of acne is an ingredient that is that controls oil. Maybe, you know, something with uh, salicylic acid. Um, another thing I think about when I think of ingredients for acne, I think of ingredients that are germicidal, maybe some tea tree essential oil, maybe some benzoyl peroxide. And then I also think of an ingredient that's anti-inflammatory, that brings down inflammation, you know, like uh, something that helps to reduce redness like beta-glucan or aloe vera or hyaluronic acid. And then lastly, I think, okay, we've got to hydrate. We don't want to bring oil to the skin necessarily if they've got acne, but you want to hydrate. So what do I think of? I think of hyaluronic acid, calendula, watercress. So now I'm looking at all of these products. I'm looking at, here's my client, you know, he or she has acneic skin or oily skin, and I'm giving them a cleanser, toner, moisturizer, and exfoliant. So I don't want every active ingredient that we just discussed in each and every product, but kind of sort of balanced between the whole array of products. You know, maybe in the cleanser, there's a little salicylic and BPO. And then in the toner, maybe there's some very soothing witch hazel to calm and, and soothe. And then maybe in the moisturizer, there's some hyaluronic acid for hydration. And then maybe there's a spot treatment there that they can spot every once in a while, not all the time, but every once in a while, maybe there's some tea tree in there. But you see how it's sort of balanced between all the products instead of every single product having <laughs> every single active ingredient, which would be a total overkill. Right, right. That makes complete sense. And I wanted to circle back real quick to retinol. You touched on that just briefly. So I'm curious about the frequency of retinol. So we, you know, we know that you kind of have to start slow with retinol, lower percentage. Um, you know, you can't start going every day at the beginning, but I'm curious how, how would you advise somebody to ease into retinol? Like what would the routine be? And then, um, what would be the max frequency that you would say for somebody to use retinol like every day or three times a week? Like, what do you think about the frequency? So that's a really great question. I get that asked a lot. And you really, really want to follow manufacturer's directions because you can have four or five retinol products and they're not all created equally. So you really want to make sure you follow the manufacturer's directions. Generally with most manufacturers and most companies, they'll start you, you know, maybe every other day, you know, once a day for a couple of weeks. And then after that, um, maybe once a day, you know, for a couple of weeks. And then after that, maybe twice a day for a couple of weeks, if the skin can bear it, if the skin can tolerate it. But then again, you always want to go back to the manufacturer's directions. But they'll usually, most manufacturers, most companies will have you prep and then they'll have you cut down a little bit. And then you're kind of going depending upon what the skin dictates. And that means, you know, how the skin is basically reacting. So most people end up using a retinol product uh, generally about three times a week. If the skin is thicker, it's more durable, the lines are deeper, maybe four times a week. If the skin is, you know, maybe a little bit more sensitive, 
maybe twice a week, you know, and also you have to decide what is the goal of the skin? Is this retinol to improve the texture? Is it to stimulate fibroblasts to soften lines and wrinkles? Is it to help um, reduce pore size just by exfoliation? So that's really important to know. But again, I would always go back to, you know, what does the manufacturer say for this particular product? But I would say most manufacturers that, that I know in most companies, usually about three times a week or so for most people is, is adequate. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Lauren. And something I kind of hear both sides of in the whole aesthetics world is, one, it's better to use a lower concentration, you know, every day. And then others who say, no, you know, use a, a professional retin-A, for example, and because that doesn't have to go through any conversion process. That way it's, you know, more readily absorbed and you can use that with less frequency at a higher dosage. Right. And and there are so many different ways to to achieve really good results. You know, with estheticians, we can't prescribe retin-A, so we have our, our retinol products. Um, and it can be, you know, you might have three different uh, lines and they all have 1% retinol and and you'll use one product and go, wait, this is a lot stronger than this other product. And it may just be the buffering agent that they use, or maybe there's a heavier serum or there's a ceramide in there or something that kind of, I don't want to say negates the retinol, but uh, makes the retinol not quite as strong. So yeah, sometimes it's just testing, you know, testing different products, different retinol products. If, if we're talking about retinol products, that that is best for you. And then it's so tricky with, you know, adding, you know, should I use more? Should I use less? I've started with so many products and end up, ended up needing to use a, a product five times a week. Um, and, you know, and then other products, not so much. And I'll have others that I work with find that, you know, five times a week is just way too strong. You know, once a week is strong enough. So a lot of it depends on the skin, the individual skin, the person's individual skin type and condition. Exactly. A lot, especially with cosmetic ingredients, it's all about trial and error. And if you have your client on a product line and it doesn't seem to be working exactly the way that you want it to work, but maybe it's okay. You, you know, you want to tweak that product, modify it, adjust it, play around with it for a couple of weeks. I have clients call a lot and say, this is just not strong enough for me. And I'll say, okay, well maybe add in an extra day or it's too strong for me. So it you know, uh, deduct a, 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 one of the days that, that you're using and, and use it a little bit less often. But yes, it's a lot of it is, you're exactly right, trial and error until you get that great combination. Yeah, Michelle, I'm going to pivot. And this is just out of curiosity from Lauren and I, but as we know, in the past few years, there's been such an emphasis on quote unquote, clean ingredients. What's your perspective on clean ingredients in air quotes versus, you know, synthetic types of products. So um, Tess, when you ask or talk about clean ingredients, do you mean more plant-based ingredients, more plant-based products, or do you, 
or not not synthetic not synthetically produced ingredient yeah and you're right to question that I think because it's, it's such a vague term but a lot of brands you know are labeling themselves clean brands you know clean at Sephora or XYZ um, but I guess it really comes bound comes back to plant-based products or um, you know brands that don't use the preservatives the, and pesticides, germicides, yes, things, yeah, <laughs> things kind of deemed harmful or seen to have, you know, um, potentially dangerous effects. And, and that's, that's interesting that you say that. And that's great that you asked that because it's such an umbrella term clean, you know, it's not something that everybody kind of thinks about it differently. When you hear clean, I, I know some individuals will say, well, that means plant-based, you know, not synthetic. And then others will say that means, you know, no preservatives, no germicides, fungicides, all of those kinds of things. So it's it's a tricky question to answer. <laughs> if you If you mean clean and you mean maybe aromatherapy or herbalism, that's become very popular again in the last, I'd say, probably 10 or 15 years. It was extremely um, popular and commonly used you know, hundreds of years ago and then fell out of favor to some of these more fast-acting ingredients. But it's back around now because people do want that sort of clean approach. Um, and, and essential oils and herbs are, are great. You know, they're extracted from plants and flowers and seeds and things like that. They're also oils, so they penetrate very deeply into the epidermis. They also have a small molecular structure, so their ability to penetrate is very good. But you have to be careful with them too, because they are potent. So you want to make sure that when you're using essential oils um, or herbs, that the individual is not allergic. And then if you're thinking about a clean ingredients without the pesticides, you know, without the preservatives, without all of those kinds of things, um, they do use today a lot of um, herbs to, or I should say functional, the functional group of herbs and essential oils to preserve, you know, like phenols and acids and natural alcohols and things like that, rather than parabens, you know, which is not so popular anymore because of some of the adverse effects it was having on the skin and inflammation that it could cause. So uh, no preservatives at all is hard to do because the product can become contaminated very quickly. You know, if you were to make a product, store it in the refrigerator, no preservatives, you made it yourself, you'd have to use it pretty quickly. It's almost like a food, right? It would, it would go, it would go bad. But natural preservatives that are found or that are preserved by um, herbs and essential oils have become very popular today, much more so than than ever before. Yeah, we're we're really glad you you brought that up because we've talked about on a different episode before, you know, how a term like preservatives can can get a reputation and then you have, you know, nobody wants to buy anything that has preservatives in it, but, right. you know, but it's kind of a necessary evil. Right, exactly. So when you see at the bottom of an ingredient label nowadays, you'll, you'll see, you know, um, uh, lavendula or you'll see, you know, phenols or sometimes you'll see natural alcohols. These are all ingredients that are found 
um, in nature, in essential oils, and they've taken the the natural preserve. I want to say natural preservative, man, not man made, but plant made preservatives from these herbs and essential oils, and are utilizing that in product formulation today. So they're doing that a lot more. There are certain ingredients that may not preserve as well that way. Um, and then you have to, you know, have a, a shelf life, an expiration date on it, which we do on all of our essential oils. When I formulate a, a blend of essential oils, I always put a one-year shelf life on it. But it is the actual preservative, the natural preservative of the essential oil that's preserving the entire formula in some cases. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because, I mean, as Tess said, it, it's there's so much controversy around different ingredients and whether they're quote unquote clean or non-toxic or, you know, whatever it may be. So having some clarity on that, I think is helpful. And Tess and I have said before, I'm like praying that there be, you know, we get some legislation or some kind of rule on what you are allowed to call clean and what you're not, because I think that it would clear up a lot of, a lot of confusion basically. So exactly. And I know they have some of that with foods, you know, the foods that we consume, but as far as California, I, I don't know that they they've got that yet for um, actual, you know, skincare products to be able to actually certify it, but that would be great. Yes. To certify something clean or to certify a skincare product um, organic. I think they can certify it organic. It has to be what, what is it now? Correct me if I'm wrong, 95 or 96% um, organic to, to be called organic in skincare. Um, and it's hard for anything to be 100% organic because even when you're growing something, you know, you've got the winds and the rain and, and, and all of that that can move soil around. So just from that by itself, a lot of the, the plants out there take in things that they normally wouldn't if, if that wasn't the case. So organic is a, you know, is is organic as it can be without yeah. absorbing some of the, you know, the, the soil and the nutrients from the grounds and land around. Oh, I've never even thought of that, but. Yeah, with essential oils, <laughs> with essential oils, I, I do like to use organic. And that just means that the essential oils were not, you know, sprayed or uh, they, ha- they, you know, 97, 98 percent clean. Um, But you can't guarantee 100% organic because again, you know, you've got the shift in the rain and the shift in the wind and the shift in the soil and everything, you know, things just, things move. And yeah. Yeah. Well, everything, yeah, everything's so interconnected. It's like, you know, you just kind of do the best that you can. And it's the same thing for the foods that we eat. Like I'm extremely pro-organic and I shop at a market that literally doesn't sell any produce that's not organic. So it's like we do our best, but organic food does still have a small amount of pesticides. So it's just kind of like. Right. Yeah. But the good thing is too, um, and and with the pesticides, germicides and and fungicides, they found uh, as of late that it also prevents when you've got that on a, you know, piece of produce, it prevents that, that plant, that fruit, that vegetable from fully expressing its nutrients. So you feel like you're getting, okay, well, okay, it's not organic, but I'm still getting the nutrients. Well, not as much as you think you are because the plant is being, is being suppressed. You know, some of those nutrients are not able to come to full, you know, to fruition. 
So it's great that you're eating organically. That that is wonderful. <laughs> I, I know I try to do yeah. the same as much as possible organically. Right. I mean, yeah, we just gotta you know do the best that we can. I have a friend that always says just cut it where you can. So that's kind of <laughs> the philosophy. You balance it like a checkbook because of course not my, my makeup isn't necessarily the cleanest thing. So anyways, but um, we <laughs> wanted to kind of finish up with just a couple quick questions on your favorite ingredients for certain categories. So to start, what are a couple of your favorite ingredients for anti-aging? For anti-aging, just over the last five years, and I'm you know, people bring me so many new products to check out all the time. And I'm always thinking, oh, great, another new product after 30 years. Here's the, you know, 100th product. That, and there's so many wonderful products out there, really wonderful products out there. But I, you know, tend to use a product and, and I investigate and I do my research. I really, truly do. For anti-aging, I love a product line. And if I can if I can mention the product line that, that I use personally for myself and also for yeah, my yeah. clients um, is a product line called Neova for anti-aging. And Neova um, is spelled N-E-O-V-A. So Neova, when I was introduced to Neova, I kind of felt the same way as I do with most products these days, kind of like, oh, okay, another product, I'll try it. Well, when I tried mm -hmm. it on my own skin, and here's the thing with Neova, they've got two proprietary ingredients. One is the DNA repair enzymes, which is phenomenal, and um, copper peptides. So the copper is bound to a peptide so that it can enter the cell more easily. And the DNA repair enzymes is set, and they have a, a lot of research done on this product, and the, the doctors like to use the product line. But the DNA repair enzymes actually have been proven to help repair DNA to move into the DNA portion of the cell and provide an enzyme to that particular area and help to repair DNA. So if you've got hyperpigmentation or a cell that's, you know, very, um, that needs rejuvenation, the DNA repair enzymes really help in the reparative portion of that, the, the regenerative part of that. And then the copper peptides are great because they are very anti-inflammatory. Um, they're an antioxidant, uh, even a natural antihistamine. So the ingredients that I like, and the reason why I like that product line so much is because of those two, two ingredients. They also, uh, that particular product line also contains an ingredient called L-ergothionine which is a, an exceptionally powerful antioxidant that helps to, um, you know, battle off free radicals. So for me personally, on my own skin personally, um, I'm past menopause, five years past menopause, so I need all of the help I can get. Believe me, I give myself <laughs> all of the help I can get. DNA repair enzymes and um, copper peptides for anti-aging. And of course, some of the, the um, polypeptides out there are wonderful, like the hexapeptide, which I call the topical Botox. I know it's not Botox, but I call hexapeptide the topical Botox because it actually slows down the way that we make a contract. We contract our facial muscles and the lines become a little bit softer as a result. And it is also very rejuvenative to the skin. Um, it helps to increase circulation. So I do like the hexapeptides and, and the peptide family. If you get a really great product line that has a great um, combination of, of the polypeptides, I like also, if I can continue on, I like antioxidants, you know, all of the different vitamins A, C, E, uh, if they're in a really good delivery system for the skin. 
I like to use antioxidants for all skin types, not just for, for mature skin types. But, but that would, if I have, if I have to, you know, my, my first few or those are, you know, first three or four for anti-aging. Beautifully said. Michelle, what about a couple ingredients you love for acne? For acne, I really like salicylic acid because salicylic acid does some of the things that we really need um, it to do in order to help uh, kind of clear the hair follicle. And of course, you know, when we've got acne, we've got congestion of the hair follicle. So I love salicylic acid. It, it Not too much of it, of course, in moderation. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as far as the action of salicylic acid, it's a great um, exfoliating product. It helps to control oil. It has some germicidal properties. Um, in really large doses, it can be inflammatory, but in small doses, it's it's anti-inflammatory. So I like salicylic acid for acne. Tea tree essential oil, the melaleuca alternifolia, the tea tree. I like tea tree, very antimicrobial. Uh, most people don't have an issue with it. Most people aren't allergic to it and used in products, you know, in, in small amounts. I like tea tree a lot. Uh, for acne also, um, benzoyl peroxide is is fine as long as you don't use too much of it. You know, it can be very drying. It can cause the skin to peel and then o- overuse of it can cause post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. But just the right amount of benzoyl peroxide could do a really good job helping to control the breakouts and oxygenate some of the bacteria. So I would have to say for acne, those are, you know, the top three. The classics. Yeah, the classics. <laughs> the Definitely the classics. Yeah, yeah, great. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much again, Michelle. This has been so fun. I feel like I could talk about ingredients for hours. This has just been so, so, so informational, and I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. Yes. So thank you so much You're for welcome. coming on. Always yay. great to and- be with all of you. Oh, yay. Well, we love best. it too. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please let us know. We will, of course, always leave Michelle's info um, down at the bottom of this episode. So thank you again, and we will talk to you guys in the next one.